The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I am your guest host today. My name is Linda House. I'm the Executive Vice President of External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community, and I'm lucky enough to be filling in for Kim Tebaldo, who is off today. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are provided at over 170 locations worldwide online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org and by telephone at 888-793-9355. Today we are going to talk about breast reconstruction. There are over 2.5 million breast cancer survivors in the United States today and we unfortunately still experience about 200,000 new diagnoses uh, every year. The Cancer Support Community has worked with a number of individuals to create a new ebook resource called, frankly speaking about cancer, breast reconstruction. And the idea of that book, which is, by the way, also available in print, really aims to help women who are diagnosed with breast cancer as they think about making treatment decisions around breast reconstruction. Um, We know that there are a number of options, and this can create some complexity in decision-making. And um, so we wanted to make sure that patients had access to information on all of their options. So today, as a part of that, we will be speaking with a breast reconstruction expert and also two women who are breast cancer survivors to learn more about really the options available for women uh, today. And so here to explain breast reconstruction with us is Dr. Andrea Strauss, who is a plastic surgeon in Bridgewater, New Jersey. Dr. Strauss um, is dedicated to the advancement of breast reconstruction and serves on the advisory board of the Cancer Support Community of Central New Jersey. Thank you for being here, Dr. Strauss. My pleasure. And also joining us, as I mentioned, are two very passionate survivors of breast cancer who have worked tirelessly and continue to work tirelessly to support, empower, and educate others as they go through their cancer experience. First, we have Desiree Walker, who has helped us in developing the new Frankly Speaking About Breast Cancer Reconstruction ebook. And that ebook um, is available at www.cancersupportcommunity.org or um, on iTunes. And Desiree, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I'm looking at your picture um, on the ebook oh. as you speak. Okay. <laughs> and then we also have Jane Smith returning to the show today. And you may remember Jane from a show we did previously um, about body image and the cancer journey and how those two match up. So, Jane, we're looking forward to hearing from you again today. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. 
So let's, um, let's just start with you, um, Dr. Strauss, and if you can give us a sense of, um, you know, breast reconstruction. You know, people hear about that term, and I, I don't know that it's always connected to a cancer diagnosis, but certainly it often is. So just give us a, a brief introduction to, uh, to what is breast reconstruction. The goal of breast reconstruction is to restore the appearance of the breast to a natural shape and size after breast cancer surgery alters or removes one or both breasts. This involves replacing any tissue lost during the surgery, including breast tissue, skin, nipple, or muscle on the affected side, and any surgery needed on the other breast to achieve symmetry. Breast cancer, can, uh, breast reconstruction can be performed at the time of mastectomy or partial mastectomy or delayed to a later date. It generally requires two to three procedures to create the breast and nipple staged at intervals, the timing of which may be affected by other treatments needed such as chemotherapy or radiation therapy. Great. Thank you. And it's... It's a, it, it's, a, it's a treatment option that's available to patients at what part of their, their cancer journey? When, if, if I'm a newly diagnosed breast cancer patient or a patient with breast cancer, when would I expect uh, these type of conversations to, to happen? Both doctors and politicians have recognized the benefit of having a consultation with a plastic surgeon prior to starting any treatment for breast cancer, so at the time of diagnosis. A cancer support community survey found that 91% of patients diagnosed with breast cancer described the consultation with a plastic surgeon as helpful or extremely helpful in making their decision regarding their treatment plan. This information led to the passage of the Breast Cancer Patient Education Act of 2012, which requires hospitals and primary care physicians, oncologists, and general surgeons to urge consultation with a plastic surgeon for breast reconstruction information prior to undergoing mastectomy. Let me give you an example of how the information I provide at the consultation can impact the treatment plan. Some women feel they need to treat their cancer first, and then they can come back for a reconstruction later. If, however, in the interim they receive radiation treatments, they can no longer have the same options for reconstruction. The same is true when deciding between a mastectomy and a lumpectomy, which is one of the most common decisions that need to be made. Lumpectomy has the same survival rate as mastectomy. You live just as long, but a higher recurrence rate, meaning the cancer comes back in the breast. Treatment, if cancer recurs in the breast, is mastectomy. But since lumpectomy is usually followed by radiation, the options for reconstruction after the salvage mastectomy are limited. Let me bring up a second point. During my consultation, I have to match a reconstructed breast to the opposite breast. So I always have to ask about the other breast 
which many general surgeons don't. Sometimes in the discussion about the opposite breast, people express concern about a failure to diagnose, for example. If a mastectomy, if a breast cancer was not found on a mammogram, how will they ever know if they have breast cancer in the other breast? Sometimes people have undergone chemotherapy and never want to have chemotherapy again. So sometimes my discussion leads to a patient's decision to have a prophylactic mastectomy on the other side. Great. Thank you for that. And so, um, so, so there, was, there was a lot in, in that answer, and I just I kind of want to break it down for, for patients a little bit. So the idea is that you, when, when you first are diagnosed with a cancer, and we understand that breast cancer is pretty detailed in its diagnosis, so you have to have all of the pieces of the equation when you're having this initial treatment decision. Um, but the idea being, when you're looking at all of your options, and the options would include surgery, radiation, therapy, chemotherapy in general, that you, if in fact your physician hasn't laid all those options out for you, you should proactively raise each one of them and have a review of the risk-benefit scenario for your particular cancer around each one of those. Is that is that fair to say as, as, as a step one? The information about breast cancer does impact on all of that, so that the consultation about breast reconstruction should be done at the time of diagnosis. And the plastic surgeon just becomes one of the team of doctors that you're consulting with the general surgeon, the oncologist, the radiation therapist, if need be. Mm-hmm. And what I, also th- what I also heard you say in that is, is a part of understanding the risk-benefit scenario of a mastectomy versus a lumpectomy, while survivor rates might be similar, the recurrence rates might be higher, or the potential for recurrence might be a little higher, and that is something that you have to consider when you think about potentially long-term surgical Correct. ramifications. Correct. Great. Great. Thank you for that. Um, so again, we we really encourage encourage people to uh, go the extra mile and, and and make sure that they have all of this information. So thank you uh, for that, uh, Desiree. You are a breast cancer survivor, and again, I'm looking at your picture. It's beautiful. Thank um, you. So for those of you who haven't downloaded the ebook, please do um, and and take a look, um, Desiree. So could you tell us a little bit about your cancer experience and your story? Well, my cancer uh, journey began at the age of 38, Um, and at the time, uh, based on uh, the determination that the cancer was caught early, uh, it was recommended to me um, by my surgeon that I consider a lumpectomy, and so I had a lumpectomy followed by radiation, um, followed by hormone therapy. And um, my, uh, I'd say, journey was going smoothly for about eight years, and then I had a recurrence. And uh, because it was a recurrence and I had educated myself about the disease um, over the years, I realized that I would no longer be a candidate for a lumpectomy and that a mastectomy was my only um, option. And as a result of that, I decided that I wanted to have a bilateral mastectomy. And when I told my surgeon that that was my desire, 
she suggested um, that I have a consultation um, with the plastic surgeon in order to understand uh, breast reconstruction. Uh, so with my uh, second diagnosis, I had the bilateral mastectomy. I did have breast reconstruction. I had chemotherapy. I did not have radiation therapy uh, because it was uh, deemed unnecessary uh, because I had the mastectomy. And then I also had um, hormonal therapy as well as targeted therapy. Thank you, Jane. And if you could share with our listeners a little bit about who you are. Sure. Um, my name is Jane Smith, and um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 53 years old. Um, initially, we thought after me finding a lump, actually, that was mammogram silent. So, ladies, please remember self-checks are still very important. Um, the lump was quite large, and after a biopsy, it was, in fact, deemed to be cancerous. Um, initially, the hope was that we could do a lumpectomy, but after an MRI biopsy, it was clear that they had to take the entire breast. So um, I lost my right breast six years ago. I was introduced to a plastic surgeon prior to my surgery uh, through my um, breast surgeon. We had an interesting um, and productive conversation and involved my husband, and um, I opted not to have an implant. So I have been without an implant. I have a breast prosthesis. I named her Lucy. She's wonderful. I'm very happy with my decision, and I look forward to talking more about kind of the pros and cons and emotional discussions we have with ourselves when we make decisions about breast reconstruction or not. Yes, that's, that's going to be a great perspective to add to the show. So thank you for, for bringing that to the show. We have got to take a quick commercial break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This episode is sponsored in part by ASI, Genentech, Amgen, and Greenville Health Systems in Greenville, South Carolina. We will be right back right after this brief commercial break. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. 
links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am Linda Hash, your guest host for the day, filling in for Kim Tebaldo, the president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. And we are back with our guests, Dr. Andrea Strauss, Desiree Walker, and Jane Smith, where we have just had a brief conversation about uh, when we should be having conversations about breast reconstruction. And Desiree and Jane were so generous to share with us a little bit about their experience, and we're going to hear more about that in this particular segment. Uh, Dr. Strauss, though, I'd like to start with you, and if you could tell us a little bit about which reconstruction options are available. What types of procedures are there? There are basically two types of breast reconstruction. Reconstruction using artificial material, which includes implants and expanders, and reconstruction using your own body parts. Expanders are balloon-like devices that slowly stretch the skin to the desired size. They are then replaced with permanent implants. Implants have a silicone rubber shell and are filled with either salt water or cohesive silicone gel. They can be round or teardrop shaped. And there's a whole range of shapes and sizes available to fit any body type. One of the newer products being used in breast reconstruction is the acellular dermal matrix. This is a sheeting that allows us to place the implant precisely where we want and reduces the incidence of implant hardening. The other type, uh, using your own body parts, these are flaps that use usually fat to replace breast tissue and, if necessary, can bring in additional skin or muscle. These flaps can be rotated from the belly or the back to the chest or transplanted from one part of the body to the chest where the artery and vein are reconnected. Recently, we added fat transfer to our arsenal of breast reconstruction. Fat is removed by liposuction and injected into the breast. It's an excellent way to correct depressions, or defects after biopsy or lumpectomy, or to smooth out irregularities that occur with breast reconstruction after mastectomy. Great. And so these are all options when these are all options when somebody's had a full mastectomy. Correct? Yes. Usually right. the standard breast reconstruction is for full mastectomy. But right. the Fat transfer is something new that we're doing for partial mastectomies, which include biopsy or lumpectomy. Great. Okay, great. Thank you. To just, again, to your point of what it is, make the, the breast more natural in, a, in appearance. Correct. Um, and so what are some of the non-reconstruction options? The most common is the prosthesis that uh, 
uh, you were talking about before. Yep, Most I think Jane insurance that. companies cover the cost of post-mastectomy bras, which have a pocket, and an external prosthesis, which can be put into the pocket. But even if someone opts not to have breast reconstruction, surgical intervention is sometimes requested. One of the common things that happens is I have a large-breasted woman who comes and finds that she has an increase in symptoms of back and neck pain because the weight of her large breast is no longer balanced by an opposite breast. Mm -hmm. So sometimes she'll undergo breast reduction surgery to eliminate the pain. Great. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, And so... I know that, that, that women who are diagnosed with breast cancer are presented with a number of treatment options, and there's a lot of information to go through, as we've identified and discussed already here. So, Jane, I'm going to start with you, and I'm wondering if you can share uh, with us how were you able to make the right decision for you? We always say there's no wrong decision or right decision. There's a right decision for you. So how were you able to get to that? Well, I would say it's a process. It's not a snap decision, that's for sure. And um, it was helpful to speak with my plastic surgeon to listen to the options. Um, he, you know, did a physical. He talked to me about the fact that um, because I was going to keep my other breast, that the newer one, and this was six years ago, would have probably been a bit perkier than my other one, which is kind of funny. But um, I knew that it would never be completely symmetrical. I, you know... I have a lot of confidence in my body in the sense that um, I've been pretty much at peace with my body image. So I felt that even though the breast has a lot of symbolic stuff that goes with it, which takes a while to think through, even years after surgery, I really wasn't ready to insult my body with anything more than I had to. I wanted to go to bed, sleep on my stomach, feel my chest. Um, I wanted to, you know, be better at exercising so I could feel more toned. Um, And I knew, and I think part of what we're all lucky about with breast reconstruction or lack of it, is that generally speaking, nobody knows unless we tell them. So that made it a little easier for me as well, that I knew, you know, aside from my husband and and my own perspective of myself and my daughter's views of me, that um, this wasn't a real big public decision, and therefore I was at peace really deciding that I'd been through enough insults, I didn't know what was going to happen in terms of hormonal therapy um, or other types of therapies, and I just really wasn't ready to put my body through anything else. And, and Desiree, how about your experience? How did you get to a point where you made the right decision for you? I think pretty much everything that I thought about was really trying to help my mental state. Um, having had a second diagnosis, understanding what a second diagnosis would have meant uh, in terms of having to now have a mastectomy, uh, being concerned about the potential um, of hearing for a third time you have breast cancer and deciding to do a bilateral um, mastectomy. Um, In addition to it, I think for me, I wanted to feel as if I wasn't being slaughtered in a sense um, of of having to have had three surgeries um, on my breast because I wound up having two lumpectomies the first time. Um, And so now I was going to now have to have um, the bilateral um, surgery. And 
I knew that I wasn't going to look the same. Um, I didn't do chemotherapy the first time, and I knew that um, I was going to now have to do chemotherapy, and I had long hair, and I was going to lose my hair. And so I really wanted to try and make this into a win-win for me mentally. Um, and I thought about it, and I said I didn't want to have to now have to get a new wardrobe. I liked going to the beach, and I didn't want to have to either be without the prosthesis or worry about it coming out um, while I was swimming. Um, and so I said, you know, if I try to look at it from the bright side and make lemons into uh, lemonade with my lemons, um, Having the breast reconstruction, I'd be going into my 50s with perky breasts, um, and I might feel great about myself, um, and my clothes would fit me um, the way they had always fit me. And so for me, um, those were the factors, more so imagery um, and just uh, emotional uh, adjustment that helped me to consider reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And, and for our listeners, um, can you talk a little bit about, and Jane, I'm going to start with you, but can you talk a little bit about what, what resources you used then or that you um, would refer them to now? Or I'm sure that you have a number of people that, that call you and, and, and ask you your opinion uh, on the matter. What, what advice do you, do you give to them? Um, the first piece of advice is that, you know, understanding body image I think is really important. And body image is a huge part of our self-esteem. Um, at MD Anderson, they've done a lot of research on body image with cancer survivors, and 80% of us deal with some form of distress around body image, usually breast cancer survivors and head and neck cancer survivors because those types of cancers can be so disfiguring. So first, just validating their journey, if you will, and, and labeling it as such. Um, in terms of body image, too, you know, realizing that a lot of it has to do with really our own relationship with our body and that even plastic surgery, including implants, it's not a magic answer. It's a catalyst for changing your relationship with yourself. So, it, you know, you owe it to yourself to be most introspective and selfish about it rather than trying to please others by making those types of decisions. Um, in terms of resources, you know, I did feel um, that, um, for instance, I don't have a lot of body fat, so my prosthesis fits really close to my body. I have a nice bra. I do water aerobics every day. I've never had anything pop out or to be uncomfortable or even unsightly. Um, I've, I've, I've looked at one book in particular that I really love is Fashion Feng Shui by Ivana Maggiore, and I was so interested, again, in style, and Desiree probably was too, style and color and texture and, you know, ways that we can liven up our appearance um, aside from just concentrating on our chest wall. Um, and Fashion Feng Shui really talks about, you know, the different types of energies out there and how to dress with energies that you feel comfortable with and how to radiate them. Um, and, in fact, Dr. Christine Northrup really likes her book, too, because it's very transformational. That was one book. Um, secondly, there's a fellow that's done a lot of work around body image. His name is Thomas Cash, C-A-S-H. He has a lot available on the Internet in terms of body image workbooks, assessments, um, self-talk messages, and, you know, other ways of sort of grappling with this. So for me, it was pretty holistic, and um, I was very interested in, you know, I had to go deeper than just what do I look like. It really had to do with sort of an internal picture of what I was radiating. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you for that. And unfortunately, we are going to have to go to a commercial break. This is all such great information, and these commercials are coming back are coming upon us pretty quickly. So, um, thank you for for that. And I would encourage our listeners to please stay with us. Uh, we have got to take just a quick commercial break. This is frankly speaking about cancer. And today's show is sponsored by Celgene, Lily Oncology, and Onyx. We will be right back after this commercial break. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today we are talking about breast reconstruction with three fabulous guests. And I want to just jump into our next segment because we've been able to pack each segment with a lot of great information. So um, in our last segment, we had Jane and Desiree who both shared with us how they were uh, best able to make the right decision for them around breast reconstruction and their treatment journey. Um, Dr. Strauss, I am wondering if you could build on their comments by you know, just sort of mentioning some other things that patients should take into consideration when either choosing their medical team and making a, a decision on reconstruction or, or not. Let me just uh, interject my own personal story briefly, that I became passionate about breast reconstruction and became a plastic surgeon because my family has familial breast cancer. And uh, so I feel what these other women feel. And it has been my lifelong question, if I got breast cancer, what would I do? And so I can relate in the consultation to women who come in with breast cancer. But both the doctor and the patient have to weigh certain factors. As Jane was saying, breast reconstruction is not the right choice for everyone. So you have to think about the psychological. How do you feel about your body and your breasts? How do you feel about the size and the droop? And how will you feel without a breast? You have to consider the medical. What medical problems do you have? Do you smoke? The prognosis is important. Is chemotherapy or radiation possible? Is bracket testing, the testing for the breast cancer gene being done? That can sometimes impact uh, the decision about prophylactic mastectomy. And then the time that you need to recover. Do you need to return to work or to family obligations faster, or do you have the time to go through a longer recovery? These answers and others help to determine if breast reconstruction is the right option, which reconstruction method is best, when the reconstruction should be performed, and what should be done with the other breast. In managing expectations, let me share some really good tips with the listeners, uh, some things that, that Jane and Desiree pointed out. When picking your doctor, you're often given one or two names by your general surgeon or by your oncologist, people they work with. Get an opinion, get a second opinion, even get a third opinion until you find the doctor that you click with, that you're comfortable with. In doing a consultation, bring someone with you, a family member or a friend, because often right after a diagnosis of breast cancer, the information goes right over your head or you forget to ask the questions that you want to ask. So bringing someone with you They can make sure the questions are answered and they can take notes. So after the consultation, you can debrief and make sure you've gotten the information. And then most important, talk to others who have had the procedures of breast reconstruction. In a consultation, I always show patients pictures of other patients who have had breast reconstruction, but I always offer the option to talk to a patient via the phone, even better, going to a place like the cancer support community allows you to talk 
face-to-face to a patient who's had a breast reconstruction, and often they will show you their results. Right. You know, one of the things I want to underscore, only because it's fresh on my mind, um, not related to breast cancer, but related to one of the blood cancers in our cancer experience registry, you know, we just queried results for a big meeting that's upcoming, and we have a poster presentation that shows that even when patients have received information and um, have had a conversation with their healthcare professional, they feel unprepared to make a treatment decision. So I love your suggestions about bringing somebody with you and um, also about coming prepared to your appointment with a list of questions that you can have answered. And our data has showed that by doing that step, taking that step of coming with a list already prepared, patients feel like they are more prepared and, and ready to make a treatment decision. So I just kind of wanted to to support that comment and underscore that is a really important factor um, when, when you're having these uh, conversations and making this decision. Ultimately, before I do surgery, I have at least two or three consultations with a patient. And that way they have the time to research, mm-hmm. to write their questions, and to get them answered. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, Desiree, so talk. You, you talked a little bit about your experience and how you got to your decision. But um, you know, when you were in when you were in the heat of the moment, you know, h- you know, how did you how did you work through that? And what resources? And in particular, is there anything that you wish you would have known um, beforehand that you would encourage people to uh, to g- gather information around? Well, I, for me, I think the first thought that I would say is that. Because I had two lumpectomies prior, I was not aware um, early on, and I appreciate my breast surgeon for planting the seed of having a consultation early uh, with the plastic surgeon. I didn't realize that I would not be a candidate for breast reconstruction if I didn't have it at the time of the lumpectomy, I mean the mastectomy. Mm-hmm. And that was because I had had two lumpectomies um, prior, along with the radiation. Um, And the other thing um, that I wish I had known before the reconstruction was the possibility, because the breast had been radiated, at least one of the breasts had been radiated, the one with the diagnosis, um, and the cells, the tissues, um, dying, that there was the potential of my wound opening. Mm. Uh, And so the healing process was quite extended uh, because the wound just kept opening up um, over a certain time period. And so there were extra steps that I had to do um, in order to try and harden the skin so that it could heal. And then lastly, I would say the other thing that I wish I had known before the reconstruction, and I appreciate Dr. Strauss's information that she has provided um, today, was about bringing someone with you because I think that I I didn't really think much of the uh, consultation that I couldn't take in all the information because it wasn't going to be bad news in terms of a diagnosis. It was just telling me what my options were. But I didn't focus on the fact that I was not going to have I was not going to have my nipples. It wasn't mm-hmm. going to be a nipple sparing uh, procedure um, in that at the end of the surgery 
um, I was now nippleless. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that I think that raises a really good point, Jane. I'd like to to swing to you about this. Is it's the whole idea around um, body image. And regardless of the wonderful strides that we've made in breast reconstruction, you are at a new normal, whether you have it or whether you don't have it. And so um, can you just share a little bit about uh, uh, what you shared with us last year when you were with us about challenges around body image and how do you overcome those? Sure. You know, I, I, um, I, I think that for a lot of us, we go through the real acute phase of, oh, my God, we have to get this taken care of, get it out, deal with me, Right. And um, most of us, I mean, if, if we're survivors and things have gone pretty well, you know, not only are we grateful, but I have to admit there's also a little bit of guilt about why should I even care what I look like? I'm still walking on the planet. Um, but, you know, those days of looking at yourself in the mirror and um, for me, you know, going to the store and walking through the lingerie department and knowing, you know, I can't buy my bras here, um, getting fitted up for prosthesis over the past several years, sometimes at nice places, other times you feel like you're in a factory, um, you're dealing with resort wear and swimsuits. You know, a lot of those things, I, I felt like, you know, I have my big girl pants on. I know this intellectually that it's really not the end of the world, but it was very hard. And, um, of course, the breast surgeon wants to know over time and the oncologist, you know, with everything else they look at, you know, are you depressed? And most of us would probably say no because we feel like we can tough this out. And even if we are depressed, um, I think many of us realize a lot of this we just have to kind of chunk out on our own. So I think a couple things might help others. One is our bodies are a vehicle, right? They carry us. They're also an instrument. They express us, and there are a lot of ways to do that. Um, over time, many of the guys in my life, um, friends and, and professionals and such, have said, you know, it's too bad that, you know, the breast is highly overrated when it comes to a woman's beauty. And so I don't want to cast judgment on anyone that opts for breast reconstruction. But um, I do want to say it's, it's you know, the, the, the sum is greater than its parts. And so much, as Desiree was saying, really happens inside of your head. And that's, you know, that's, what, that's what's so difficult and lonely and private about all of this. Um, and knowing that it's a body image issue at least helps to label it as such. I was really glad when I finally identified what I was dealing with and struggling with so much because my doctors didn't talk about it. Mm. And Desiree, would you add anything, anything to that? I would just um, piggyback a little bit on what um, Jane said. Um, I think, you know, as a society, um, we put a lot on body image, uh, and then you have one's own personal view of themselves uh, and how they feel about themselves and what they want to portray to the world. And so for me, um, as I said uh I felt as if I was going to have to undergo a lot of change uh, in terms of my look. And I realized um, from this second cancer journey when I had to cut my hair how much um, people judge you based on your outward appearance and what they see. And so as a result of that, um, I think for, for me, um, I really wanted to be able to look in the mirror and not be afraid I facilitate support groups um, for breast cancer and ovarian cancer survivors, 
And one of the things that, you know, uh, there's a woman that has been um, with us for a period of time, um, and I want to say it's over a year since she actually had her surgery, and she has not been able to look at herself um, in all this time. And I didn't want to go through being afraid of touching myself and not feeling great about myself. Um, And so, as I said, um, for me, from a psychological standpoint, I felt this was the step that I needed at this stage of my life. Mm -hmm. Can I just add one more quick thing to that? Sure. You know, I think part of what helped me through this was my husband initially saying that he always liked my left breast better. I mean, that's kind of black humor, but it's really a very sweet thing to say, I think, when a woman is really grieving with a significant loss. So family members or partners do play a big part also in helping us to kind of piece ourselves back together. Mm-hmm. And I think it's part of seeing ourselves in the mirror, but also seeing others' reactions to us um, that we have to grapple with somehow. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just really reinforces that this is a... Uh this is a journey that, that the patients go on with a number of other of other support individuals. Uh, the caregivers are such an important piece of that. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I need to go to the final commercial break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and Purdue Pharma. We will return with our final segment right after the break. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We are here with our final segment today of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we are talking about breast reconstruction with Dr. Andrea Strauss, Desiree Walker, and Jane Smith. And we've had such a great conversation so far uh, about the issue of breast cancer, breast cancer follow-up, body image, whether reconstruction is right for you or not right for you. And I appreciate all of your comments around that. It's really very helpful. Um, And Desiree and Jane, we talked briefly before the break about finding your new normal. And we hear that conversation, um, or we hear that, I'm sorry, that phrase a lot when you refer to to a post-cancer diagnosis world. You know, patients have told us before that their diagnosis is really an opportunity to reprioritize their goals or reframe their self-image or or move on to something that was even more important to them. Um, did you did you get to that point where you found a new normal during your cancer experience, and and has cancer changed the way that you uh, th- that you look at, at at yourself or that your life now? And Desiree, let me start with you. Well, I would start off by saying that cancer, a cancer diagnosis definitely changes you. It has to um, because there is so much um, that you have to process, um, so much you have to overcome. Um, One of the things that I often tell people is that I have had um, many uh, side effects um, throughout my treatment, um, and I've had many late effects. And so I always, um, I'm actually approaching five years since my um, last diagnosis, and I'm still trying to figure out what this new normal is. And so I have basically taken the approach that I don't want to sweat the small stuff, and I'm just going to take one day at a time, and that if sometimes one day at a time seems aggressive, then I'm just going to work hour to hour. Uh, but I definitely have reprioritized. I can definitely say I have a new focus um, in terms of how I approach life and the things that I'm doing. Um, and so it, it, it has actually, for me, I tell people, um, Cancer has actually been a blessing for me because it has allowed me to find my passion um, and it has actually allowed me to take a different perspective or road, i.e. a slower road in life at this point. Mm-hmm. And Jane, how about you? Well, you know, I think that it's sort of a false assumption when we say that people will bounce back. I, I don't believe in that. I, I think we bounce around for a long time. And I know that after a significant life change, we go through a transition period, which begins with the loss and the grief. And then there's this really icky, messy part, which is actually super rich in terms of creativity, especially if you've ever seen the TED Talk um, by Brene Brown around vulnerability. Um, It's a very precious and interesting place. And then if you process it okay and if you're aware, then you kind of transition into acceptance and sort of the acknowledgement of what is different and, and how to move forward. So for me, long story short, I, um, I don't think of time like I used to anymore. I think of energy. I'm more selective about where I put my energy. I'm better at saying no to things that zap it. I'm more mindful of my self-talk 
and that has to do with how I talk about my body, how I talk about my feelings, how I talk about everything. Um, because I know that, you know, I can change my self-talk if I'm aware of it. And then finally, um, kind of like Desiree, um, I am focusing a lot more now on promoting well-being. Um, and uh, I started my company two years ago called Still Sassy. And I focus a lot on helping women to figure out how they can stage their comeback, which is very interesting. So I would not opt for cancer. Um, contrary to Desiree, I don't look at it as a blessing at all. It was riveting and difficult and very, very hard for a very long time for me and my family. But I understand that, you know, we all have stuff that we have to deal with. And um, I believe I have more insight and I'm gentler with myself now in the world. And so maybe in that sense, it was worth it. Dr. Strauss, we have just a couple of minutes before we uh, close the show. What, um, what would you say to what you've heard over the last couple of segments? And what would you like our listeners to, to think about as they move on with their day today? A few things that I wanted to reiterate. Uh, this idea of reprioritizing. I look at breast reconstruction as something that should be embraced as an opportunity to be better, to be a more desirable size, to have less droop, or get a better shaped breast and body, as Desiree said. The other thing that I wanted to point out is that uh, the only way to ensure that you're making the right decision about treatment is by making it as an informed decision. So don't assume that your age or your medical history or your diagnosis prevent you from having breast reconstruction. Schedule a consultation with a board-certified plastic surgeon. Learn your options for breast reconstruction and find out your rights for coverage under the law. The last thing that I wanted to say is thank you for letting me participate in this forum. Oh, well, thank you so much for, uh, for being here today. Thank you to uh, all three of you. We, uh, we certainly couldn't do our work without you um, in, the, in the way in which you help all of our, our patients, and um, we certainly appreciate, appreciate that and, and your support. So we are coming to the close of another Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today as well. I am Linda House. I was lucky enough to fill in for Kim Thibodeau, who is the president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. If you as a listener have an idea for an episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, we would love to hear from you. Please share with us any topics or suggestions that you have. The email address to send that in is news at cancersupportcommunity.org and you are certainly welcome to call our helpline and leave that information as well and I'm going to just pause here to give you a chance to grab a pen to write down that number. The Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone. For more information about our programs, visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org to find a location near you, or please call our toll-free helpline at area code, again, 888-793-9355. That's 888-793-9355 to speak with one of our licensed mental health professionals Monday through Friday, 9 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, all free of charge. So again, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Strauss, Desiree Walker, and Jane Smith for Frankly Speaking About Cancer Breast Reconstruction. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. 
thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 